The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of 2003's Spy Sorge. In part one, we talked about the history that led up to this famous Russian spy's infiltration of the German embassy in Tokyo in the mid-1930s. If you did miss out on part one and you don't want to miss out again, the simple solution is to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Google, or your favorite podcast app. And now we'll resume here with discussion of Sergei's Tokyo contacts. Let's move over to uh, how Sergey and his team work out. Sounds good. Um, Ozaki and Sergey. Ozaki was uh, apparently Sergey's primary source of information. Right. Um, he worked and, for Asahi Bank. Well, I think he starts out as a journalist. I'm not sure where he became working for a bank, but I believe you. You know, I think he was in Shanghai on work and that's where he got all his info. There was tons of stuff coming across his desk. Cause he mentioned Asahi while he was in Shanghai. Okay. Um, but um, that that's kind of where his kind of climb to power kind of starts and how I think their relationship began was he, he was feeding sort of information in Shanghai. And then that's what got both of, them big attention for Tokyo and how Russia sent Sorge uh, back to Tokyo. And then Ozaki goes back to Tokyo. Yeah. And it's, again, it's Agnes that uh, like connected them together and, and just kind of said to Ozaki, like, uh, look, you can trust this guy. You don't, you don't need to ask any, you know, and Ozaki trusts Agnes implicitly. And let's talk really quick too, about Ozaki's motivations here. Um, Ozaki's not a communist, but he is really, he's looking at, uh, his home country of Japan and he's not liking what he's seeing. Right. Um, he did, according to Wiki, like he did believe that the Japanese were the superior race (laughs) as did a lot of Japanese at the time, but he felt that like the Japanese should be bringing like, like civilization and, and calm and, and productivity and, and goodness to the Chinese and Mm -hmm. elevating them. Uh, But what he was, what he felt like he was seeing was just rape and pillage. Yeah. There's like that shot of the young girls being sold to the brothels and mm -hmm. stuff. Right. Because the, the, the economy had gone so bad. Um, so, yeah, it, there was definitely a lot of motivation for him. But I think you're right. I don't think he was like uh, an idealistic communist. He was just seeing kind of th- the degradation of his people through a lot of this imperialism that was going on. Right. He, he felt like the Japanese people should be on a higher level. Than, right. than what he was seeing them acting out. Uh, and, you know, he was just anti-imperialist uh, yeah. and, and anti-colonialist. Right. Um, so that's, I guess, you know, that's their kind of connection in Shanghai. And as you say, like both of them uh, 
come out of Shanghai, which is our, you know, the initial part of the movie. Like we say, uh, it covers events from 1931 to 1941, 1931, like those first few years are in Shanghai. And then there's like a gap, which will jump, you know, across like three or four years to where, uh, Sorge gets tasked to, uh, basically infiltrate Tokyo as as uh as a german journalist and um his gru handlers give him one contact which is our new character we haven't mentioned yet miyagi mm-hmm. right you know that guy the artist the yeah. big guy yeah right yeah and they say like yeah we've got a guy in place and actually i don't i never i never found out what miyagi's uh motivations were or inspiration was well, we do find out later from the Americans that he's like a named communist. Oh, that's oh, that's right. Oh, and right. I, yeah, I, yeah. I did a I did a little searching on him, and apparently he was a member of the U.S. Communist Party or something. Oh, right, because he had spent time in uh, Southern California. That's right. right. He talks to. Yeah. Uh, is it the conversation he has with uh, Ozaki, where he says like in the U.S. Like people treat us like lesser, right? And, and, and then not... the Japanese in America, the yeah, the Americans treat the Japanese like low, and and then the Japanese in America treat the Okinawans as low. Which I don't know if you know about the Okinawa. The, the, that's one of the the Okinawan island in mm-hmm. Japan. Right, right, right. Uh, was kind of like considered low class Japanese. So what he was saying is in America, their Japanese people are treated like lowlifes. And then in turn, the Japanese people in America treat the Okinawans in America as lowlifes. And so that's kind of what his motivation was, the kind of like getting rid of this kind of like castes or uh, like right. social status. So, yeah. So, yeah, he is a communist believer. Yeah. <laughs> right. In, in contrast to, you know, Ozaki. Uh, who just is an anti-imperialist. Um, yeah, but uh, Miyagi definitely believes that, like, everyone should be equal. And mm-hmm. Das Kapital, Karl Marx has shown us the way. Let's make it happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, so the GRU gives, you know, when they task uh, Sorge to go to Tokyo, they say, like, we've got this guy, Miyagi. You can trust him. Like, he's done some work for us. He's not to speed we don't trust him yet to like run an operation that's where you come in uh-huh. and then sorge also says like okay well you know i also by the way i want my guy max uh who uh was his radio operator in shanghai and will be his radio operator in tokyo <laughs> and um he does get that guy um but um and then they also I guess I'm not sure how Vukalich. That's our that's our guy on the team with the glasses. Do you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, he was the one that married the Japanese woman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not quite sure who he, he was. The one that said he was a terrible communist, but I think Sorge had basically set him up with a business in Japan. As no, a no, no, no. I think no. You're 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 mixing him up with Max. Max is oh, the guy okay. that starts uh, profiteering, I guess, in a way that I couldn't tell what he was selling. 
like Sorge meets him in a what seems like like a shady warehouse uh-huh. kind of thing, and it looks like their like it looks like their business involves like large printouts of maps maybe or something. I, I couldn't exactly tell what his business was, but he's making money. Yeah. You know? Like Sergey like kind of glances over at like all the money in his safe, and the big stacks of bills and, and he max hurries over and closes it up. And yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going outside to the motorcycle. He's like, no, dude, let's, let's ride in style. And he's like, oh, new car, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Max, Max is having some doubts about uh, communism. He's, he's liking, he says like, dude, I like driving a, a nice fucking car. I like being rich. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, I, I might not be a, great communist which yeah <laughs> is a thread we don't you know see developed in the story no which would have been an interesting thread to kind of follow um because that that i mean you see we see sorge go off on him but not for intelligence reasons more for sorge's pissed off because he's like i've sat like we, we find out later like it really aided him that he had to leave his wife behind you know um so this is like kind of the only time Sorge ever like loses composure. And he's just like, the fuck is wrong with you? I'm the one that set you up. All that money came from the communist party in Russia. You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, like, like that's the only time you ever see him really lose his composure. And I think it's because there's more of a character development than it is. Like this should have been a security issue where he should have been like, are you fucking serious? Like, we're going to stick people on you, like, left and right now and watch what you're doing because now he, you know, Max should have been under suspicion of working with Japan or America or whoever. Um, but the the team goes out shopping, and I think Miyagi is what helps them all get, uh, like, transistors and light bulbs and shit to build, like, a radio yeah. I kind of want to mark this as my number three best trade craft was their like makeshift radio considering the time. And uh, they basically had like a whole little radio base at the top, like on the, the second story of the house that was it Max was living at or was it? No, it was View Kellick. Yeah. That's View Kellick's uh, place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so and- View Kellick is, is providing the quote unquote safe house. Uh, uh, for Max, the radio operator, to operate within. Right. And, and I thought that was kind of a cool setup. And, like, them kind of putting that radio together to transmit to Russia. And there was, like, a random scene where it looked like Japanese or... I'm not sure who it was, but they were catching those radio signals. But they couldn't pinpoint where they were. So I guess that shot was only to make it believable that nobody picked up on their transmissions. What shot are you I, talking about here? It was like 10 seconds and it was like at some big radio facility and they oh, were, okay. they were picking up on, yeah, they, that was the only time you saw that guy. I don't know who he was working for, but it was at like some facility that, and they picked up and they couldn't tell where it was coming from. So I guess that shot was just there to make it believable that they didn't get caught or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I just like the setup for that. So that made my number three best tradecraft. 
Yeah, I I mean, I had some thoughts about the radio situation, which which overall I liked. But um one thing I didn't like was you know, there's a, you know, Vukalik is also going to, you know, catch yellow fever and get married to a Japanese girl. And, you know, the scene where she comes home, like they're up, the radio is like upstairs in his house. Right. Mm -hmm. And the scene where she comes home, like they're, they're doing some busy spy stuff, spy stuff, spy stuff, you know, uh, communicating on the radio. And, and when she comes home, uh, and he asked, you know, uh, he says, oh, we have some guests. She's like, oh, I'll, I'll come upstairs and say hi. And he's like, ah, no, that's not a good idea. You should go, like, uh, take a walk. Go go take the baby out for, like, an hour or something. Like, <laughs> what I didn't like about this is, is it seemed like, at least as far as what the movie is showing me, is, like, this is the first time it seems to be occurring to Vukalik that his wife might notice a radio transmitter upstairs. I mean, maybe they put it away at certain times, but they're, they're just, I don't know. As a general procedure, like, if you're married to someone, they're going to know what's going on in your house. And yeah. you've got two options there. you got to either plan it out to be super secret or you got to bring them in. And tell him at least something about, like, I've got some secret business I can't talk to you about, and you can't go upstairs ever. Right. <laughs> right. Or something. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was annoyed by that. Uh, I, I, I give it minus five points, and I'm calling it my worst number two tradecraft in the film. The other thing about the radio was, um, you know, there's there's a scene where they're, you know, uh, uh, apparently not able to transmit from Vukalik's upstairs thing. And do you remember this? Like, where they're in the car. And, and Vukalik needs to, like, raise up, like, a makeshift antenna. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone's on guard and saying, like, oh, here comes a guy. And even though it's like just a drunk guy that's going like, blah, 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 uh, you know, they're like, oh, shut it down, shut it down, you know, right. the antenna. But I would have liked that scene a lot more if I had any clue why, right? Uh, they were needing to, uh, you know, try this like makeshift kind of thing. I, I thought it would have made it a better spy story for me. Absolutely, I, I agree. Now, we've talked about the fact that, um, I mean, we've gone in a lot of circles without really talking about Ozaki. And Ozaki is someone that, okay, Sorgi's going to get tasked to Tokyo. Uh, he is going to think that Ozaki is a guy, because he knows him from Shanghai, that uh, might be a, a good asset. And he does this well plus five points uh it's uh miyagi that goes and susses out ozaki's situation and says like you know mr johnson would like to talk to you and they take a train ride out into the countryside and they have their meeting 
in Tokyo. I mean, you know, they know each other, but uh, Sergey is like, you know, I'm still Mr. Johnson to you. Right. <laughs> we, you don't really need to know who I am. I guess he's still cashing in the credit from the trust that Agnes has given Ozaki, which, uh-huh. you know, and that's the whole like little C plot in the thing that Ozaki is absolutely in love with Agnes. And so I like, I mean, I like that part. I like that it's going to stay as Mr. Johnson. Ozaki does ask, like, who do you really work for? Sorge says, do you really want to know? Ozaki says, thinks about it, says, maybe it's best if I don't. Right. (laughs) And I don't know. A lot of the, we don't, I don't think we see a lot of Ozaki and Sorge actually meeting up or making plans together. <laughs> but I don't know. That's 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 the movie. But apparently that was his his biggest source. Ozaki is doing like the parallel thing that Sorge is doing like with the Nazi party of just being so good at his job that he's naturally rising into theaters of uh, power and decision-making, Ozaki's doing the same thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. The government came to him because of his work with the bank. Mm -hmm. They wanted him to leave his job and come work with them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a scene at the Imperial Palace where, I don't know, there's, there's a couple, I'm going to freely admit, like, there's a whole section of Japanese characters in this film that I don't actually understand what they are up to. Right. <laughs> but there's, at the very least, there's a couple of guys I call the plotters uh-huh. that are dragging, like, like, you know, taking the opportunity to... Uh, pull Ozaki into their orbit and and saying you could do great work for Japan if you could be our eyes and ears and part of that uh, you know apparently lands him a job in the research department of the Osaka Railway Company which is a big part of the war effort and that's uh that's a place where he again you know doesn't aspire to infiltrate these centers of power but just by being so good at his job he's invited in to the closed room meetings where the big decisions are being made and i guess you know he's passing that information on to sergey i do have uh and we've we've uh tipped a little bit around this, but there was at least one scene where they, you know, where when the Japanese guys are, are bringing Ozaki into the inner circle where someone tips him off that we have a list of the top 500 communists in this country. That came from America, I believe is what they had said. Oh, 
which was interesting because this would have been prior to their association to their alliance with Germany. So I guess at this point they were still kind of doing business or something. But yeah, that whole they they had mentioned that list had come from the U.S., which makes sense because Miyagi had said he was in California, and from what I've looked up, Oza, uh, Miyagi was part of the Communist Party in the U.S. Right, and Sergey had specifically uh, told Ozaka or told Miyagi, you know, it, as as part of his you know general operational procedures, like you need to cut ties with any communists, like yeah, at at the get go. But this is not enough to keep Miyagi off of the list of top five hundred communists in the country, right? And and we established that he's on that list. Ozaki is given that list. Ozaki should have noticed and let Miyagi know, and maybe Sorge as well, that Miyagi is on this list. Right. If he was working at that level, he probably would have seen that, or he would have been talking to him when Miyagi was talking about being in America. He probably would have mentioned it. So I I would say uh, he should have cut ties at that point. It was probably a bad idea. Yes, and I think this would be even more reason for Ozaki to be really careful about meeting Miyagi. Like, what we see is that, uh, you know, they meet at Ozaki's house. And I can think of all sorts of reasons for that to be uh, suspicious and bad. But Mm -hmm. the fact that Ozaki was given a list of the... 500 top communists in Tokyo and Miyagi was on that list is absolutely a reason to make this my number one worst trade craft. <laughs> That's a don't, good one. Don't invite that guy to your house. Yeah, no, definitely not. It goes the other way as well. Like it gets worse. I think even though yeah. I, I'll call that my number one worst, I can, I can make it even worse. Um, you know, I didn't see Miyagi making any social calls to Ozaki prior in the movie to uh, to the the scene at the end. And then this is right after Miyagi like is starting to think he's being tailed. So that seems like a really bad like the worst time to like meet at your fucking house or at yeah. your friend's house. <laughs> Like, don't do it. Minus five points. I did like... Okay. I did like that... Okay, Miyagi is an artist. Right? Mm-hmm. He's a he's a painter. He's always got his sketchbook out. Um, I did like... And I'm giving my best. Switching over. <laughs> to uh, using that excuse to observe the harbor. Yeah. I think that's a good... I think that's a great uh, thing to have out in front of you. And especially if that is your cover, that you're an artist and constantly like, you know, got your sketch pad out. Like if you want to observe an area for a long period of time and, and have a natural reason to be doing it. Uh Well, if you're working on a drawing of the Harbor, that's right. That's a pretty good excuse. I'm going to call that my number two best. That's a good one. Uh, funny enough, there was a anime that I saw uh, in this corner of the world. 
the main character is an artist and she gets yelled at by the Japanese government for drawing pictures of the boats. Cause where she, she was living in a village and the Japanese Navy is like running uh, exercises and stuff in the Bay. And like, she's just drawing pictures and, and, and they just come and give her a hard time over it. But this, this guy here, who's actually like working for the opposition is, is, is drawing pictures talking. And I think he passed the information. Oh, they were doing diving exercises. So I think they're going to attack the U S you know, that's a pretty big piece of information to be given out, you know? Yeah. So I think so. I, I, yeah, I think I think there's a lot so of nice well. five points to, to a lot of the organizations that aren't picking up these flags. <laughs> I think, I think you're trying to uh, flag me in your notes <laughs> to, to yeah. run up to the motorcycle part. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I didn't, I didn't bring this up when you brought up that he was known for like getting drunk and riding his motorcycle, but I, I put my number three worst trade craft on here. So I just wanted to get this really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's go. He got, apparently this is one of the main, this is actually real that he went and got smashed and crashed his motorcycle and was in the hospital and his whole body was beat up. Um, but uh, I wanted to fly it as my number three worst trade craft. He got news from his wife that she had a miscarriage uh, in the film. We get a whole scene with her at like a, kind of a surgical type of place. Uh, oh, so yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. They they definitely, like, implied that it wasn't a miscarriage. Yeah, that, that she had an abortion. So forced, I don't know if... A forced abortion by the state. Yeah. It's what it and, looked like. They don't... They, right. they weren't explicit, but that's the feeling I got. Right. And which was creepy as fuck. And I don't know if he picked up on that or not or uh, what the deal was, but he immediately just pounded down like a giant bottle of liquor and then rode his motorcycle and got in a huge accident. So, uh, yeah, but you know what he did did before between Uh, pounding the big alcohol and getting in the accident? He showed up, he showed up for one of his like, you know, information passing things he went and collected oh, some right, yeah. sensitive information <laughs> the guy is asking him like hey are you okay he's like ah i'm fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> which makes which makes what you're about to say even worse yeah and, and yeah so i i think it was just a bad play i what i liked about it though was that it was kind of re- i felt remember when we did the uh the day of the jackal and he goes and like compromises himself by hooking up with the lady and then pretty much getting himself caught. Uh, that way it, it, it seemed more mechanical in the day of the Jackal of trying to give a human side to like that character. I liked this, that yeah, like these super spies are people too, you know? So I liked this, but I, I still wanted to flag it. Cause it was actually kind of tough, like trying to find certain like, you know, things to put on my list, but I wanted to point this out cause he, he could have died and that would have changed a whole course of stuff considering how important he was in history, I guess. I, I don't know, I, I, but I just, I just didn't like it. He, yeah. So, but I, I felt it was executed well as far as, character development of making him human. And and that's what I liked about it, but I'm still marking it as my number three worst tradecraft. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
again, I you know I thought like if if Shinoda as a director was more interested in making this a spy film, this is a place where they could have he could have spun it. Which obviously, you know, he didn't make that choice as a director. I'm not. I'm not trying to play super. You know, uh, Monday morning quarterback doesn't doesn't quite. You know, decades later, quarterback. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you wanted to make this feel a little bit more like a spy movie, this is a great opportunity um, because you know you could have had like a scene where like Max. you know, becomes aware, like, oh, Sergei crashed his motorcycle, calling another guy, saying, did he have anything sensitive on him? And the guy's saying, like, yeah, you need to get to the fucking hospital now and and get that shit off of him before the Kempetai, like, uh, find him and, like, maybe drag that, you know, in a a three-hour movie. If you had wanted to make it more of a spy-centered movie, like this is the, you know, we're talking about historical events, and I I, I appreciate Shinoda doesn't want to like stretch the truth or uh-huh. dramatize this, but this seems like a scene that could have been a lot better to me. Yeah, it it would have been a lot more fun for me. We do see, we will see. Max show up and you know but it's just it's just like five seconds you know right. that he he rifles through Sergei's jacket and takes some documents and sticks it in his jacket but this is the sort of thing that if I had been trying to tell this story as a director this is the sort of thing I would have thought would have been a lot of fun to like kind of stretch out and focus on mm. a little bit absolutely but, okay um what's next? I mean, you know, we talked about okay, so Miyagi was uh, you know, I think very cleverly covering his observation of the military activity, the military practice mm-hmm. over the harbor, uh under the cover of his sketchbook, but he is being observed at this point, and he's being observed by uh, people that are a lot more subtle than the spies that we saw in Shanghai, which were our classic, like, we're just going to stand here really obviously on a bridge in our dark coats and our black glasses <laughs> and our black hats and, like, make it really obvious that you're being observed. These guys are being a little more subtle about it. But uh, definitely, like, you know, Miyagi's blown. It's been hinted at, you know, like we've we've gotten the hint. He's on the list. Uh, we get the hint that he is, uh, you know, we see him being watched. Uh, it's not, you know, it's one plus two plus three equals six. Eventually they're going to get him. And from there they get Ozaki and from there, they get Sergey. I I actually wanted to point that as uh, my number one worst tradecraft. Um, I understand the trail leading to Miyagi, uh, but um, 
we didn't really go over this, but uh, Ozaki's climb into the government and into the train company and stuff like that, he gets a report on Japanese oil. And they, uh, they I actually thought this was also really interesting. They talked about the oil embargo that the U.S. imposed on Japan, which led them to have to use all their oil for military. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to Pearl Harbor. And then that's what led to the U.S. joining the war. Uh um anyway uh you know i just anyway but um that report miyagi had just on his desk hanging out and this was probably like weeks after they got it i would think they would have kept it secret somewhere or it like made copies or just like transcribed it or encoded it or something but that report is what gets ozaki caught um because ozaki was at that meeting yeah that's how they. That's how Miyagi got the oil report. That's what when they when they raid Miyagi's house, they see the report and the oh, guy pulls that, it up. And oh, looks, is that what he was working on? Right. Either when, he was translating or drawing. Right. I don't know what he was doing, uh-huh. but that he was trying to. His first thing should have been either throw it out or hide it, or they had plenty of time to transcribe it or make a cut or whatever. It shouldn't have just been hanging out on his desk. If you're undercover, don't leave shit like that hanging out on your desk, you know, especially since, and you, you know, you mentioned Ozaki not picking up on the fact that Miyagi was on the list. So they, they should have been more colorful is what I'm saying. And, and uh, that is how Ozaki gets caught is through that report. Cause Ozaki was at the meeting and stole the report and, and put it into the hands of Miyagi and, and to Sorge. All right. Good, good work, dude. I didn't catch yeah. that. So, uh, the, definitely that's how that's, that, that was pretty bad. And I was kind of, yeah, I was like, I mean, I guess, was... I, I guess I just assumed that like, I don't know, they got Miyagi and he talked. I mean, we didn't see that, but I'm sure he did say something, but yeah, no, how they, how they got clued to Ozaki was that oil report. Okay. And, and then I'm sure the light bulb went off. Oh, yeah, that's right. He translated a whole communist manifesto book into Japanese. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, and then that's what leads to Sorge. I'm here looking at this movie and I'm not seeing this, the, the huge impact on history. I'm really not. Can you help me with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, I mean, it's not really pointed out in the movie. You kind of got to like watch it happen, but the information, so, you know, I think I said earlier that like, you know, he, he has this whole lament at the end of the movie that he made no impact and he got all these people in trouble. The prosecutor's like, Moscow is safe. What are you, what are you talking about? But I think it goes even beyond that. The information he provided to Russia was information he gleaned as a mole at the German embassy. He's the one that warned Russia that Germany was going to attack. They didn't believe him. Uh, They thought maybe he got flipped or Churchill was sending in some uh, disinformation. You have the the scene where Stalin gets, you know, Sergei's initial report that uh, the Germans are going to, you know, attack toward Russia on the right. on the western side of things and Stalin is like oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> like 
I'm sure I'm sure Churchill would love for me to believe that. Right. Yeah. And so and so that part goes through. But after Germany does attack, they they actually ask the team to continue feeding information and Sorge is like a full-fledged mole at the German embassy and he's getting German movements that he's sending back to Moscow and as we know Germany couldn't you know win for a number of reasons you know the terrain the winter the the sheer force that Russia had but there was plenty of information passed out furthermore Sorge's team had all the information about Japan's response to the embargo that they were going to plan. Um, uh, it, it, there's a lot of information, like, you know, how Japan was going to try and march into China um, and how Japan was going to march into Siberia, and they didn't. And had they, that might have shifted the war. So uh, there's a, uh, it's not explicitly shoved in your face in the film, but a lot of the information that the film tells you that Sergei's passing on to Moscow um very well could have prevented like the access from winning or at least been an enormous part of it. I mean, like obviously that's not what won the war. Uh, like there's a lot of things that won the war. I don't think any one thing could have won the war. You know, you could say, Oh, Alan Turing's decrypting. You could talk about the queen Mary and queen Elizabeth, like boats that like brought American soldiers so quickly to like whatever you could have talked. There's so many different things you could talk about, but like all of these things kind of added up. So even though he has this whole like ironic lament of how he didn't get to, you know, spread communism, he prevented the spread of fascism and imperialism, which I think is a big deal. But that's what I, th I think that's what Shinoda was going for in this film was it's a story about this guy's life. And like you said, he's checking off the historical boxes of the pieces of history that he was in. And if you look at what he was doing during these time periods, you could kind of just piece together the impact of what his intelligence provided. Um, and I, and I th but on the other side, I kind of agree with you. I'm not really sure that the film portrayed him as this like giant icon of an intelligence agent. I want to say this. I've played Axis and Allies and I've never seen that it would possibly, at least in that board game, uh -huh. I've never seen that it would possibly be feasible to for Japan to attack Siberia. <laughs> so you maybe would have to come in through China, maybe? I don't know, getting no, across the ocean. You just, you just go up north. Um, right. Now, maybe the game is designed that way because it's a historical fact that Japan chose not to. Right. But I I just I don't I I don't it's difficult for me to imagine the counterfactual. Like the if you take Sorge, if you if you can pluck him out of history, if you can delete him from history, I am not seeing how history changed oh, and and i guess you know i'm i'm taking it like where i'm at is i'm taking it on faith uh -huh. that he did the movie did not sell me the story that richard sorge changed the course of history whether or not he did like 
I I'll go to like I I would say the wiki was more interesting to me than the movie. I don't think the movie made the case. <laughs> but, yeah, that's kind of where I agree with you. Where it, it, the the film didn't portray him as the super spy. I think it just kind of gave us the story of his life and like what he kind of went through and like the people he met. Like you said, it was just checking off kind of historical check boxes. Um, but I, I think if we had a better idea of that side of world war two history, as far as like that side of the globe, mm-hmm. um, I think it would have been more impactful for us to see each of those. Cause I think, I think both of us growing up in the United States, like our whole view of world war two is like D day, the atomic D-Day. bomb, D-Day, yeah, the D-Day, the atomic bomb, the, the war's over. That's it. You know, that's the, and then you, you, you know, being in LA, you go to the queen Mary and they're like, yeah, Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth were bringing soldiers like so fucking fast. Churchill was like the war ended four years earlier because of it, you know, or whatever. And like, this is kind of what we're told. But I think if we had, we were more versed in that side of the World War II history. Like, I think his life would have seemed more of impactful to us because it's not spelled out for us, you know, in, in this film. It's just, here's a guy he kind of gets asked to work here and there. He does this stuff. He he bones a bunch of chicks. You know, like he makes some buddies that he's kind of like working with, and then the war's over. Uh, you know, uh, but I, it's it's well, like the war's just beginning at the end of this film. Well, like, I mean, well, right. it's it's Poland. It's uh, uh, I mean, the film ends like. Uh, Sorge and Ozaki get executed in 1941. That's a year after. Uh, it's definitely the the Japanese have definitely like just joined the Axis. It's a year after the first uh, incursion, like like the the invasion of Poland right. by Germany. So this is the beginning of oh, World yeah, War Two. Uh, oh, most of the movie, but the end has the, the whole Jap- montage for the Japanese. Like the the Germans have like started the war like a year earlier, but here's where the Japanese are coming in at the end of this film. Well, the the film ends with the whole montage of Pearl Harbor and then mm-hmm. the bomb and the, and all that stuff. So you're right. Like the movie is the beginning of World War Two, and then it just gives us a quick, you know, uh, overview of all of World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I think his his uh, work is kind of what kind of set the stage of the downfall of Japan um, and 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 Germany. But it wasn't like just shoved in our face. You know what I mean? I, that's what I'm saying. I think if we knew more about that side, we we would have been like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you know. Um, it all makes sense now, you know, but, uh, no, I, I agree with you. It wasn't really, it, it didn't sell us is, is I think what Todd said. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. Just as far as like, uh, in, enjoyed the movie. Um, I, 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 I call this movie, a, a history lesson that, uh, has some, flashy points and a really good core performance from 
Ian Glenn. Uh, I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't ever need to see this movie again. Uh, at, <laughs> at, at three hours, there is, I think there's a lot that could be cut out. Maybe I'm just not the audience for this movie, but, um, yeah, this is, this is, this is a two, uh, for me. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not mad that I watched it, you know, and I watched it twice, but, uh, I honestly feel like, uh, the six hours of watching the movie, uh, would have been better spent on, uh, cruising, uh, reading Wikipedia and, okay. and, and learning stuff. <clears throat> That's me. Um, I, I enjoy this is kind of what I want history films to be like. I know it's not popular and it probably doesn't sell well, but I I enjoyed it. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it as in like this is going to be my all time favorite film or something. I'd recommend. So I'm I'm probably going to go with a three on this. Um, but th- if if I go see a history film, this is kind of how I want it to be, rather than just kind of like we're going to make a story and then just sprinkle some historical elements into it. So uh, I, I think I liked it a little bit better than Todd, but I, f- I feel Todd on like, I'm, uh, I, I probably would have enjoyed reading about all of this stuff rather than watching it. But there was a lot of good, you know, shots. I felt, I, f- I felt like there was a good atmosphere to it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't f- like, I don't feel like kind of robbed of three hours. I, I, uh, it was kind of calming just watching it. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't wowed. I, I, I wasn't like blown away, but you know, it was kind of like nice watching it. Like I enjoyed watching it. You know what I mean? So I, th- I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with a three on this one. All right. Uh, you know, before we get to tradecraft, I'm going to say again that, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, the it was a uh, a less like uh, a more innocent age, like the Cold War kind of stuff that we see, like with the CIA and the KGB <laughs> that we've <laughs> talked about a lot. Like, is some complicated wilderness of mirrors kind of stuff that is not present in this film, and appropriately so because this is kind of like before people really were catching on to how much damage or how much intelligence like a well-placed agent could do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That said, my best tradecraft of the movie, I didn't get to mention while we're talking about it, so I'll I'll flag it right now. Uh, You know, when Otto comes to, like I said, like Otto, Colonel Otto, total fucking bro, with Sir, uh, Sir, Sergey, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he comes to him and he says, "Like, listen, uh, I have a, you know, a whole thing. Now that I'm the head of the embassy, I'm gonna need a lot of help with uh, uh, getting messages to Berlin, and I need some help with encryption. Uh, can you help me?" And Sergey's like, "Well, it's not something I know anything about." But I'll try to help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. 
you know, a dumber spy would have said like, oh, dude, encryption? I'm your man. Yeah. <laughs> I can help you with that. Because Sergei does absolutely no encryption. Right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just the way he consistently, like, plays it dumb, that's good, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, my number two was uh, Miyagi using, you know, uh, you know, if you're going to observe, uh, want to observe an area over a long period of time and have an excuse for why you're watching it, uh, you know, uh, the fact you're an artist and you like to sketch pictures of harbors, that's a good excuse. Number one best tradecraft from me is, yep, it's going to be the same as your uh, number two, the maintenance of cover and never associating or, or using those easily obtainable assets and help from, uh, you know, communist parties within the area that you're operating in. Yeah. Just don't talk to them. Have nothing right. to do with them. That's not your job. Someone else right. is doing that job. Your job is to observe and report and let us know what is really going on. 100%, 100% really good tradecraft. That's, that's solid. Uh, my number three best tradecraft was kind of like the makeshift radio they put together in their little kind of radio base at, at uh, the house. I kind of liked that. It was fun. Uh, my number two best tradecraft was uh, Todd's number one was having no communist ties whatsoever. Uh, definitely. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> um, then my number one best tradecraft was uh, Soria getting recruited by the German embassy. He didn't even try and get their attention. He wasn't talking to anybody. He just was doing a really good job as a journalist, you know, writing articles for Germany. And then they came and approached him because of his knowledge of the area. And, uh, and the fact that he was a World War I German hero was just kind of added to it. So I liked that a lot. Uh, what was some of your worst tradecraft? Uh, this is another one that we didn't get into detail on, but there's a scene at the end of the film with Ozaki and Sorge where they're, they're basically like, I guess this is it. Like, we've done our job. And Sorge says, you know, I guess I'll finally get to go home. And Ozaki says, well... Would that be, uh, are you going home to Moscow or Berlin? Right. And I I could read this a couple different ways, but the initial impulse that I have to read this is that Ozaki still isn't 100% sure that, like, whose side Sorge is on. And if that is the case, and that's if that's what we're meant to believe, then Ozaki is an absolute fool for cooperating with Sergei in the first place. What I'm trying to say is it felt like, to me, a very, like, spy movie moment that doesn't suffer close interrogation. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying here? 
Yeah, there's a lot of flags that were kind of overlooked by a lot of people. Worst tradecraft number two. Uh, I didn't like the way Vukalik, uh handled, uh, you know, the fact he's got this uh, radio operation going on upstairs in his house. And and apparently just not thinking about the fact like, well, I'm married now and I have a wife and she might go upstairs. <laughs> uh, number one is 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 pretty harsh. Osaki's given the list of the top 500 communists in the country. Uh, Miyagi's on that list. He should have noticed it. He should have let Miyagi know. He should have let possibly Sergei know. And he definitely, at that point, should not be uh, letting anybody on the uh, Kempe Ties list of the top 500 communists over to his house. Right. <laughs> uh, my number three worst tradecraft was Sorge just riding the motorcycle smashed with sensitive information uh, after he found out about his fiance's uh, abortion or miscarriage. Uh, my number two worst tradecraft was Ozaki translating the communist book um, and he did that after Sorge had told him to cut all communist ties. So kind of feel like that was a bad move. Uh, and, but definitely my number one worst tradecraft was just like leaving the oil report sitting around when Miyagi got caught. This kind of plays into your number one worst tradecraft. Like Ozaki should have noticed that. Well, he did notice, but he should have like been more proactive about it. Mm-hmm. And told him, hey, don't leave the oil report that I gave you that is obvious probably came from me just hanging out. Uh, so, yeah, that's my number one worst tradecraft. Uh, despite those, what do, you, what do you think on park benches? I'm, I, I think the opening bid has to be a five uh, with the historical accuracy that this film portrays. Uh, the, only, the only thing I could think that could drag it down is, uh, well, actually I can't think of anything. I mean, you know, I could say, I think previously, like maybe we've dragged it down a little, uh, for not having seen a lot of it. Like I'm thinking Argo right now, like Argo was, uh, they didn't, they didn't show us anything that didn't actually happen. We're led to believe, but we saw so little of it. Right. I actually was going to say that, that I, 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 like, even though everything was probably as documentary realistic as possible, we didn't get a whole lot, you know, but I definitely don't want to snub it for not being as realistic it is. So I, I like that you went to Argo with that. And even with that, we have a most wanted man in Munich in the fours. Do you, do you want to, you want to just go with a four? I don't think I can come down to a four. I I I, I could meet you at four point five. What? Why do you want to drag it down? Why? Why? What's your What's your rationale for uh, pulling it out of five? Because uh, well, I think what you just mentioned was just we didn't get a whole lot, and like like you mentioned Argo, and then we're also talking about Munich, right? Um, but uh, if you're looking at a four point five. 
I, I could go there because we have Tammy Taylor soldiers by 4.5 and I'm pretty sure that's not historically accurate. Right. Um, we got pine gap battle of Algiers day of the Jack. Yeah. Let's you, you want to go with a 4.5 then? I, I, I feel comfortable with that because Munich and Argo were more of a Hollywood storytelling with some accuracy, right? Uh, versus this was pretty accurate. So that would kind of let it stay with Algiers. We just didn't get a lot of, like, the Battle of Algiers had tons of it, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Battle of Algiers, again, that. Yeah, that's exactly another case of a movie that I thought like uh, maybe failed a little bit on my my star rating of just like ticking off boxes of of historical events and just making sure that that everything lined up and that they couldn't be faulted for um, you know messing with the facts. Four point five. 4.5? All right. Yep. Sounds good. All right. All right. 4.5. And that's uh Orge. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler. <laughs>